Happy Easter. Uh, we're doing something different uh, this year, uh, but it certainly doesn't change the glory of Easter and what it is we celebrate. And so this is the third of three shorter teachings we've made for Easter. Uh, we've also put together many past sermons from Easter with a whole host of resources you can check out at CodaChurch.com. And we hope that they help in your worship and your celebration of the Easter this year. Uh, but in these short teachings, in the first section, I made the case for the plausibility of the resurrection. And in the second, we looked at what Jesus' resurrection means personally to each one of us. But in this third, I want us to consider what the resurrection means for the entirety of the cosmos, for all of creation. You know, oftentimes when we think about Easter, especially for me growing up in the church, the scope of what Jesus had done often uh, would become very narrow. And it would, I would add, for some very good reasons, get condensed. To, you get to go to heaven when you die because of what Jesus does for us. Right. He came and did what we could never do for ourselves. And by grace, through faith and his finished work, we will be accepted into eternal glory. This is true. And it is glorious beyond all our wildest imagination. But when we collapse it to just this, we miss the much fuller and more beautiful picture of what God has for us in Jesus and the implications it now has for us in this life. Uh, which we touched on in, in the second teaching, but also the fullness of the good news of God's redemption for not just us personally, but the entirety of all his creation. And sometimes that gets left out or maybe it gets truncated. And so I want us to consider that. So in the resurrection of Jesus, we see new life as Jesus defeats sin and death. And he says this incredible thing happens to us and in us and, and with us. And so listen to the way Paul uh, explains our life before Jesus and then after in Titus chapter three. We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our savior appeared. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our savior. And so what Paul says in Jesus is we have a new way of living in him and through him by what Jesus has done for us. We are a new creation. We were once under the bondage of sin, which I could uh, sometimes summarize as seeing ourselves as the center of the world, as the center of our lives. But in Jesus, you now have a new life. You're rescued from you. And he says you have the fruit that now leads to sanctification and it ends in eternal life. New life is bursting forth just as Jesus was raised. So we are in him and it breaks into this new life. And so Jesus saved us by his grace, his doing on our behalf. But then he says, there's a washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, that the spirit comes in and it's making us new. The word used there 
uh, for regeneration, right? The spirit, uh, the regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. That regeneration is a Greek word called palagenesia, which means recreation or remaking or, or a better way of saying it, restoring things to their pristine state. A Jew in the first century, this word would have been pregnant with meaning. All things will be set to rights. All things will be returned to their perfect state. It carried this connotation. Things would be as before sin entered the world. Now, this doesn't do it near justice, but think about a a new home or a new car that's never been lived in. Everything smells new. Everything is free from dirt and scratches and wear and tear and all the things that come with it. Palagenesis is putting it back to that pristine our new condition. It was a way it was originally created. Now, as it pertains to all of creation, when man sinned, that is, he rebelled or ignored God in his world, sin entered the world. And it put not only a chasm between God and man, as our sins separated us from perfect communion with a holy, righteous God, but it marred all of creation. All things are now out of balance. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says that all of creation is groaning under the weight of sin, longing to be set free from this bondage. It's longing for palagenesia, regeneration, to be made new. And so in the goodness of what Jesus has done is that we personally can now have a relationship with him, which is what we talked about in the second of three uh, of our series here. But also that God is going to remake the entirety of his good creation. It's all going to be set free. In Matthew chapter 19, Peter asked Jesus what the future holds for those that have left everything to follow him. And Jesus says, truly, I say to you, in the new world, when the son of man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or land for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. And so what Jesus says there is that when he returns and he sits on his glorious throne, when the fullness of his redemption is revealed In his second coming, it will be regeneration. He actually uses that same word, palagenesia. Everything will be set right. Everything will be freed from decay and corruption. The new world will be where everything as it should be. And so the hope of resurrection of Jesus is certainly personal. It's certainly that we can know and love the creator God of the universe and live in perfect communion with him. But it's also the remaking of all things. We live in a fallen, sinful world and it is breaking down. We see this clearly all around us every day. We see it in in pollution. We see it in in storms that bring catastrophe. We see see it in the extremes of of location and weather. We clearly see it in disease and in viruses. But we live in a world That is groaning under the weight of sin and its effects are everywhere that we look. But what Jesus's resurrection means is that new life is dawning 
And all things, all things are going to be set right. In Romans 8, the Apostle Paul talks about the glory that is to come in this new world, in this regeneration that Jesus is going to bring in full. And he says this in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And so by what Jesus has done in the resurrection, God is going to regenerate all of creation. And it's going to be with such a force and such a magnitude that the Apostle Paul says that what we've gone through in this life and the difficulties and the things that we have seen will be incomparable to what is to come. That means there'll be no more disease, no more death, no more social distancing because of deadly viruses that threaten to kill it will all be made new and it will all be because of what Jesus has done. So what about now? If that's what is coming, if that is the promise of the resurrection, how do we then live now in light of what Jesus has done? Sometimes, uh, sadly, I, I see those that, that claim to be Christians and sometimes sincerely so, uh, but they live with an almost indifference to this world. And the problems of it. And I've heard it said at different times that we don't need to be worried so much about the world. Jesus is coming back and he's going to set things right. And it's almost like a, an apathy that sets in. But is that how we're to respond in light of the glorious future that is coming that Jesus has done for us and the, the future that he has purchased? The end of First Corinthians 15 Paul's just laid out one of the most beautiful, hope-filled pictures of what is to come. And he talks about how the mortal will put on immortality. And the perishable will put on imperishable. And we will have these resurrection bodies and this new creation. And he says, death will be no more. And so thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. But then he says this. After painting this incredible picture of the glory that is to come. He ends the thought this way. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. In light of what is coming, he says, so get to work. This is a wonderful connection here that I want you to consider as Paul gives us this charge. As God's word tells us to be abounding in the work of the Lord. And I want you to see this because it's all because of the resurrection of Jesus. In Matthew 19, when Jesus says in the regeneration, the palagenesia, all things will be made new and pristine. He says that's what's coming. In Titus 3, Paul says the regeneration has already begun. And the same power and glory that is going to make remake all things is now at work within you through the Holy Spirit. You have a choice when we see the glory of the resurrection and what is to come. We can sit on our hands and kind of wait out the clock until Jesus returns. 
I'm secure in Jesus and he has saved me and I get to spend eternity with him and that's great. Or you can look at it as an opportunity and a privilege to get to work seeking to show what his glorious kingdom will be like. Now, we will never fully accomplish this in and of ourselves in this lifetime. We will never make the world perfect through what we do, but we will never regret abounding in the work of the Lord and will never be in vain as God will take all of that work and use it. I'll end with this. Years ago, uh, when my two oldest sons were maybe three and four years old, I remember painting a bedroom in our house. And the boys begged me to help. Now you can imagine, it's probably not going to be a great help when a three and four year old offers to help you with painting. Not usually real great at painting at that age. But they were so excited. And so I decided to let them. And I put them in the corner of the room with a drop cloth. And I put one of my old t-shirts on each of them because it covered just about their entire body to keep them from getting paint everywhere. And I set them to work in this corner. And I went about painting the rest of the room and it took a couple hours to paint the whole thing. And they worked diligently on their little corner and they laughed and they giggled and they thanked me repeatedly for letting them help. And as I went about and I painted the entirety of the whole room, I got back to about a three by three foot section that they had painted. That was all they could really reach. And I said, "Okay, move over, guys. And I rolled right over it. And we finished the room. And in many ways, that is what God's new world, the Palagonacea, is going to be like. He is going to bring it. But that little corner that we get to paint, that we get to point to his glory, will never be in vain. We will never look back and regret giving our lives to making his glory known. We have a wonderful future in Jesus. Happy Easter. May you go and love God and love people the way that he has loved us.